Father, that really is a prayer that we have just sung. And so may we, not just during this time and this season and in this place, adore Jesus, but may we do that every moment of every day in every place because He alone is worthy. We thank You for the gift, the greatest gift ever given, the greatest love story ever in Jesus, the creator of all things, becomes a part of the creation, invading human time and space in a real human place, born to us, born for us. And so now as we open your word and look at Luke's account of all, how all of this went down, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and in our minds that we may love Jesus deeply, obey him fully, and worship him eternally. So may Christ be made much of this morning, and may we think higher thoughts of him as we leave this place because of who he is and what he has done. So use me right now to love your people well through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It is so good to see you this morning. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. I invite you to open your copies of God's Word to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have a Bible for you right there in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you, page 1018 in that blue church Bible this morning. And as you're finding your place there in Luke chapter 2, just a couple of introductory comments. I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Josh and Pastor Brandon for preaching the last two Sundays, the past two Sundays here of Advent. Listen, let me just say something that I think is important for you to know. I pray and hope that God gives me a long ministry here with you all. And one of the ways that will happen is if I am able to sit under the preaching of God's Word and not simply do the preaching of God's Word. I need preached at. Now, I hope I don't preach at you, but I need preached at. I need for guys that I love and guys that I know to speak God's Word into my life. And so, over the last two weeks, Pastor Josh and Pastor Brandon have done that, and I have known this message is coming, the fourth Sunday of Advent, which emphasizes God's love for us, and I knew I was going to be in Luke chapter 2. Now, how many of you have never heard or read Luke chapter 2 before? That's what I thought. Nobody in this room. I was just chatting with Joanna this past week, and I reminded her of something I've already shared with you, but the hardest sermons to preach are those that are the most familiar texts to people. And because if you've grown up in a Christian home or a Christian family or you have any history in any church whatsoever, then you know Luke chapter 2. If, if you've watched 
Little House on the Prairie, you remember Pa Ingalls standing up during the blizzard on Christmas and reading the Christmas account. If, if you've ever seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, you remember Linus quoting the Christmas story. Everybody knows this text, but it is an essential text in which God highlights his love for us as his people. And so maybe if God smiles on us this morning through his spirit and opens our eyes, he will give us a fresh look and a fresh understanding of a text we are so familiar with. This is the love of God, the greatest love story ever. Let's pick up the scene in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he's coming to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Now, let me just pause right here. The king of the universe is born, and that is all we have. What I just read, that's she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid, laid him in a manger. That's, that's it. Man, if, if this were today, man, they were, there would be cameras and there would be reporters. And I mean, how many of you are old enough to remember when Princess Di married King Charles or, or Prince Charles? You remember that? Remember the media coverage of that? There is none of that for Jesus. It's so simple. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's just striking the simplicity here. That was all free. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is 
the word of our God for us this morning, the birth of the Son of God. And this morning we're going to zero in on verses 8 through verse 14. We're going to pick up the Christmas story right in the middle of it all. Mary, who is a virgin, has just given birth to her firstborn son, whom she has named, along with Joseph, Jesus. And after she gives birth, she swaddles Jesus in cloth. She lays him in a manger in that feeding trough because that's the only cradle available. It's also real and raw. You know, if we're not careful, we can begin to sanitize the scene. We can kind of Photoshop this and remove all of its graininess, all of its rawness. Let's not do that. A woman has just given birth in or near a cattle stall with all the sights and sounds and smells pertaining thereto. But you know, the big deal here is who the baby is. And why the baby has come. And when we get that this baby is the son of God himself. And that he's been born to save his people from their sins. Then this story comes to life as the greatest love story ever. It's what we read earlier from 1 John 4 verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest. It was made known among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So in Jesus, God's love now is personified. In Jesus, we have God's love with skin on. It's the big idea that Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. Now, if we pay attention, if we look around, there are, there are lots of signs of God's love for us. There's creation itself. There's the trees and the soil and the rain and the snow. How many of you are snow fans? How many of you are thankful we've not had hardly any snow? And all our visitors, I've met several of you already this morning from the south who are in Chicago for Christmas. You're disappointed that we don't have any snow, but I want you to know we are not disappointed with you. creation, a sign of God's love for us, the trees, the soil, the rain, the snow, the sun, which I know during the winter months we don't see much of here in Chicago, but I recently read that in a single second of time, the sun generates enough energy to power the entire United States of America for 13 billion years. The entire universe created by God to make earth not just inhabitable, but sustainable for us. And then God shows his love for us by surrounding us with people who love us. Friends, family. So even though there are times that we feel alone, we know down deep inside that we're really not alone. Because God has graced us with one another. And then there's one of my favorites. Expressions of God's love for us. Taste buds. Taste buds. How many of you like your taste buds? Okay, 30 of you or so. The rest of you, um, I'm not sure what's wrong with you, but um, they are expressions of God's love for us. You know you have 4,000 taste buds in your mouth? 4,000. 
and they begin dancing anytime you begin thinking about Lou's pizza or chocolate chip cookies. God shows his love for us in so many ways. But the ultimate expression of his love is Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. In the birth of his son, God puts, literally, he puts hands and feet on his love for us so that we as humans can reach out and touch God's love. We can hear God's love. We can see God's love. In Jesus, we know God's love. And that's why it's important to note that all of this goes down in real human time with real human people in a real human place. This is real history. That's why Luke doesn't begin verse 1 of chapter 2 with once upon a time. Instead, he says, in those days, in real Days of real history in the middle of a real census decreed by a real emperor in a real place called Bethlehem, the Messiah arrives on earth. Emmanuel has come. God is with us. He is really with us to eat where we eat and work where we work and sleep where we sleep. This is the incarnation. God in the flesh is something totally unique to Christianity. There is nothing like this in the stories of world religions. Nothing about their God humbling himself and coming to us. Instead, in their stories, we have to, we, we, we have some God always requiring us to do enough and be enough and give enough and pray enough so that we can somehow, some way come to him and attain eternal life. But in Bethlehem, the true God comes to us in grace to obtain eternal life for us because we cannot come to him without him coming to us. That's what makes this birth the most monumental birth in human history. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And yet when God's son arrives on earth, Bethlehem is sleeping. They're oblivious. Except for a group of shepherds who are out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. And what they're about to experience is unforgettable. Now, how many of us have had nights where we experience something so epic that we will remember it until the day we die? How many of you have had nights like that? Okay, six of you, seven. Can I get eight? We've all had nights like that, right? Where something so epic has occurred that we will never, ever forget it. I remember the night our oldest daughter, Elizabeth, was born. She's here today with her husband, and we're thankful that they're here, but we're more thankful that our grandson, Wes, is here. <laughs> I remember the night Elizabeth was born. It was in central Iowa in the middle of a cold January night, I think the wind chill that night was between 30 and 40 below, and Joanna awakens me from my slumber and says, I think we need to go to the hospital. 
But here's the thing. We'd already been to the hospital, and they sent us back home. But being the loving, gracious, merciful, kind <laughs> husband that I was, I did the right thing, even though it was the hard thing. I crawled out of bed, and I helped Joanna to the car, and when we arrived at the hospital, I helped her out of the car, and I walked up to the ER desk, and I said, hi, I'm Ken. This is my wife, Joanna. She thinks she's in labor. Let me repeat that one more time so you get it. <laughs> hi, I'm Ken. This is my wife, Joanna. She thinks she's in labor. Young, young guys who want to be married and have kids someday, never, ever say that when your wife is in labor. Um, those are words that Joanna never lets me forget, words that I'll forever regret. You know, we've all had nights like that, nights when something that happened that night changed the course of our life forever. That's these shepherds on this night. It's a night to remember. With Mary and Joseph, it's real and raw. With the shepherds, it's shock and awe. Now, that's significant because there weren't many memorable nights for a shepherd. If, if you were a Jewish schoolboy and your school teacher asked you to write an essay on what you wanted to be when you grew up, nobody would write about wanting to be a shepherd. Shepherds were considered bottom dwellers in Jewish society. It was demanding work because from April through November, you were out in the fields with the sheep. It was dirty work. It was dangerous work because sheep are helpless against predators. And it was demeaning work. Shepherds were thought to be dishonest and unreliable, which is why they weren't even allowed to testify in a Jewish court of law. So if you reached adulthood and you were still a shepherd, that was a total life fail. Which means that if Luke is making this all up, if he's attempting to dupe us into believing something that did not really happen, he would have never have chosen shepherds as the initial eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus. Luke tells us that the shepherds were really there because this is how it really happened. It's God doing what he so often does. He turns cultural norms upside down and inside out by revealing the news of Jesus' birth to a group of shepherds who are keeping watch over their flock by night. By night. Now, we usually just kind of fly right by those two little words as if they don't matter, but they do. Because in the Bible, darkness is a metaphor describing the effects of sin. And so Jesus Christ, the light of the world, arrives in the world in the darkness of night, invading that darkness to overcome it with light. It reminds me of Isaiah 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone in Jesus. And if there's any group of people who would get how dark the world is, it's shepherds. 
They would have been the butt of workplace jokes. They would have been ostracized when they went into town. They were often ceremonially unclean from encountering dead animals. And so often they were barred from public worship at the local synagogue. Shepherds understand this world's darkness. And that's what makes this night so epic when suddenly an angel appears. And instantly, the darkness of night is transformed into the light of the brightest day. We don't know what that angel looks like. We don't know what his name is. But we do know that when he shows up, he brings the blazing glory of the Lord with him. And that's why these shepherds aren't just surprised. They're scared. They're terrified. Notice what the text says. They are filled with great fear. It's the Greek word mega. They are filled with mega fear. It's big time fear. It's not the kind of fear that momentarily takes our breath away. It's the kind of fear that threatens to take our life away. The kind of fear that literally hurts. And that's why the old King James Version says that these angels were sore afraid. Which is why the first words out of the angel's mouth are fear not. Fear not. Because I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to give you good news of great joy that will save you and rescue you and redeem you. The Greek word here that's translated good news is actually the Greek word for gospel. So the shepherds, it would have sounded like this. I've got gospel news that will transform your mega fear into mega joy. You hear what the angel is saying? The angel is telling us something important. He's saying to these shepherds, listen guys, the bridge from fear to joy is paved with the gospel of Jesus. You want to know how powerful the gospel of Jesus is, the good news of Jesus the gospel takes sinners who are afraid of God and makes them by grace alone the children of God whose eternal joy is God. That's how powerful the gospel of Jesus is. Now, this is not in my notes, but let me just pause here for a moment because for some of us at Christmas time, we're reminded that we have loved ones, family, friends, who don't know Jesus, don't believe on Jesus. In fact, some of your family and friends may be actively and intentionally running from Jesus. They want no part of him. And you're discouraged. And you're afraid. Listen, we read in this text of the gospel's power. The bridge from great fear to great joy is the gospel. And that gospel is powerful enough to save that loved one and friend in your life. So don't quit. Don't quit praying for them. 
Don't quit crying out to God for their eternal soul. Don't quit. I am not ashamed, Paul says in Romans 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone in this room who was at one time an unbeliever, who is now a believer, it's only and always because of the power of the gospel of God. It is powerful. It is powerful enough to take a group of shepherds who are in great fear and transform that fear into great joy. So how about you? How is your joy right now? How joyful are you? I'm not asking about your happiness. Happiness mirrors our circumstances. I'm happy because all my Christmas shopping's done. But when I go back to work later this week and the boss drops a project on me that he wants completed by January 1, I'm not going to be happy about that, but, but I can have joy in that. Because as John Piper has said, joy is a deep, durable delight in God that ruins you for everything else because it can't be touched by anything else. Your boss can't touch joy. Pain can't affect joy. Cancer can't stop joy because not even death itself can destroy joy. Joy in God is a gift from God that is both deep and durable and eternal. So when you feel fear beginning to tighten its grip on you, do what the angel does with the shepherds here. Speak truth to that fear by preaching the gospel to yourself that in Jesus you possess an unshakable joy because you are loved in Jesus with an unbreakable love. It's Romans 8 verses 38 and 39 where Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can touch the joy of Jesus. Because nothing can break the love of Jesus. That's why this is good news of great joy for these shepherds. Because today, in real human time, In the city of David, a real human place, a Savior is born, a a real human deliverer. And there it is. That's the good news. The good news is all about who the baby is. Notice in the text, he is the Christ, which means he's the Messiah. He's the promised one from the Old Testament. He's the Lord. He's the one who created all things and controls all things. He comes to earth, not in the form. By the way, this is important. Not in the form of a human, but as human. Truly human. Very human. He's a helpless baby like every other baby. So I know he's saying, away in a manger, you know, no crying he makes. Now, let me just break it to you. I don't want to ruin all Christmas traditions or Christmas songs. 
And maybe the, the, the writer of, the author of that song was thinking about a specific moment in time when Jesus was awake but wasn't crying. But you know, J Jesus cried as a baby when he was hungry. Jesus, Jesus slept when he was tired. Now, maybe he cried himself to sleep when he was tired, like every other baby. Jesus cooed when he was happy. He was like every other human baby. But he's also unlike every other baby because he is Christ the Lord. He is the ultimate expression of God's love for a lost and dying world because he's come to save that lost and dying world. And then the angel suddenly does what many of us do with our birth announcements. He gives the shepherds a picture of the baby so that they can identify him. The angel says, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, now I used to think that that was the angel giving these shepherds directions. Because we know these shepherds are men, and so there's no way they're going to stop and ask for directions on where to find Jesus. Right, ladies? There's no way they're going to stop and ask for directions. And so the angel is kind of playing Google Maps here. Listen, guys, you, you'll know you found him when you happen upon a baby swaddled in cloths and lying in a manger. Maybe that's all this is, but maybe not. Maybe the angel is telling the shepherds something they'd never been told before. Maybe the angel is saying, hey guys, even though you're shepherds, it's okay if you go see the baby. You'll be welcome there. In fact, because you are shepherds, you'll feel right at home next to the manger there. See, Jesus is not born to a royal family living in a palatial palace surrounded by secret service agents. You don't need security clearance to get to him. Instead, he's been born to a couple of peasant parents. He's lying in an animal's feeding trough. It's all so simple and humble to show us that Jesus is accessible. Because in the birth of Jesus, we are given the good news of great joy for all the people, from shepherds to fishermen, from servants to kings, from idolaters and adulterers to churchgoers. The birth of God's Son is good news for all the people, for accountants and engineers and teachers and preachers, for Jews and Gentiles, for black people and white people and every shade in between people. For Africans and Europeans and Indians and Asians and Americans. And by the way, what's really cool is that we have all of those ethnicities represented in this room this morning. And I can say to you, I can look you in the eye and I can say, Jesus is born to you. He is accessible to you. To all the people. Because he is the only Savior for all the people. Now, there are so many ways we could apply this truth, but let me just ask a couple of questions here. If we are believers in Jesus, then shouldn't we be as accessible to all kinds of people in the same way he was? 
It's one of the ways that we love people like Jesus. Does it matter what color somebody's skin is when they walk into this room on Sundays? Or when they move in next to you as your neighbor? Does it matter how they look? Does it matter how they vote? Or how about that coworker, the one that everyone else just kind of ignores? Are you accessible to them? Husband, are you accessible to your wife and your children? Young people, are you accessible to your parents? Are we, as followers of Jesus here at Bethel, are we accessible to one another? But you know, I think probably the bigger question we should ask ourselves is, since Jesus is accessible to us, are we accessible to Him? Do we invite Him in? Do we give Him the key to every part of our heart, even the dark closet that we tend to keep locked up tight. Jesus is born in the small shepherd town of Bethlehem. He's lying in a manger to highlight his accessibility because he is born to us. That's what makes this birth announcement unique. You see, most of our birth announcements include the names of the mother and father like mine. At 12.06 a.m. on Wednesday, October 27, and I'll forego the year. At 12.06 a.m. on Wednesday, October 27, 1997. Oh, no, that's not right. All right. So, uh, a, a, a son, a firstborn son, the number one son. That's for mom when she's watching later, okay? So, number one son was, was born to Robert and Eileen Fields. His name is Kenneth. But notice here that the angel does not say to the shepherds that Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph. Instead, the angel picks up on what Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier in Isaiah 9 verse 6 when Isaiah writes, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And now the angel says, shepherds, unto you. So really the, the angel is saying, hey shepherds, Isaiah's prophecy is coming to life for you. Because unto you is born a Savior. Unto you, and unto you, and unto you, and unto you, and unto me. He's born to us because He's born for us. To live the perfect and holy life we couldn't so that He could die the death we deserve in our place. Born to us to die and rise again for us. It's 1 Peter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous in the place of the unrighteous, so that He might bring us to God. And that's why the phrase, unto you, is born this day, is a big deal. And so the big question is, does the unto you include you? Was Jesus born to you and for you? Because he's your Savior and your Lord and your King. 
You say, how do I come to him since he's come to us? The Bible says in Acts 16, verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God has done what no other little G-O-D has done. He has come to us. And that's why Acts 4, verse 12 says that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Will you trust him? Will you come to him? Will you lay down your arms of rebellion against him and embrace him by grace alone, through faith alone? There is no better time to come to Jesus than in the time that the world celebrates his birth. Would you trust him? Would you come by faith alone? It's a big deal. You know how big a deal salvation is? It is such a big deal that on the night the Savior is born, a multitude of the heavenly host shows up to celebrate. The Greek word for multitude here is a word you know. It's plethora. It tells us that the sky is teeming with angels. Not just dozens or hundreds or even thousands. There are millions of heavenly beings who show up shouting at the top of their lungs, glory to God in the highest. Which means that of all the things these angels had seen God do, nothing compares with the glory of what they see now. God becoming man. And that's especially significant when you consider that these same angels were there as eyewitnesses at the moment God said, let there be light, and instantly 200 billion trillion stars appeared. Astronomers tell us that's how many stars are in our universe. 200 billion trillion. That's a two followed by 23 zeros. Now, numbers that big can lose their meaning. So let's break it down. Let's use a, a unit of length that we all understand. Let's use an inch, okay? An inch. How far is one million inches? It is 16 miles, approximately. The distance from Schaumburg to Algonquin. What's the distance of one billion inches? It's nearly 16,000 miles, or nearly the distance of a round trip from Chicago to Melbourne, Australia. One trillion inches is 16 million miles, or nearly 643 trips around the earth. Now, this week I went to ChatGPT's artificial intelligence site because I couldn't get a calculator to give me the answer I was looking for. I asked the chat GPT this question, if one inch represents one star, and those stars were, were set down next to each other, how far would 200 billion trillion stars stretch? The answer, three trillion miles 
or 126,534,589 trips around the earth. Here's the point. The angels who show up on this night had seen those 200 billion trillion stars explode into existence. But we never hear them sing glory to God in the highest until this night at the birth of Jesus. This is when God's glory shines 200 billion trillion times brighter than it did ever before, even at creation, because it's the glory of God with us as one of us come to us to rescue and redeem us by dying and rising again for us. That's what captivates these angels. That's what captivates heaven. What captivates you? What are you enamored with? I mean, what really gets you going? Because whatever that is, that's where you'll be going to find joy. For the angels, it's Jesus. For the shepherds, it's Jesus. That's why these shepherds can't stay there in the fields. They, they must go and see Jesus. And then they return to their fields, sharing their joy with anyone and everyone who will listen. Because as C.S. Lewis has said, joy is incomplete until it's shared. So what creates that I can't keep this to myself kind of joy in you? Because if you're going anywhere but to Jesus for joy, you're chasing the wind. You're, you're reaching out, attempting to catch soap bubbles. The stock market it can crash. Your job can be eliminated. Your health can fail. Your house can burn down. Your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife can betray you and walk away from you. See, none of those people or things can satisfy your soul. Because none of those people or things can save your soul. You were created by the God of love for a joy that's found only in his love because it's only through faith in Jesus that you can experience the eternal reality of his love, which we learn in Psalm 16, verse 11 is this. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Full and forever. Pleasures and joys in Him and in Him alone. And when you know the love of God in Jesus, then even on the darkest night, you can join with heaven and exclaim, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Because in the birth of Jesus, the love of God invades a dark world with an unchangeable, unstoppable, always and forever love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the story of Christmas. It's the gift of a great joy that overcomes great fear because it's wrapped in God's great love for us. The Son of God in the flesh come to us as one of us to die and live again for us. 
So let's join with these shepherds in glorifying and praising God for what he has done. Let's make our joy complete by sharing that good news of great joy with others. It is the greatest news of all because God's love is the greatest love of all. And that's why I can say to you all, may God give you a very merry Christmas. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And while we are looking at your words written on a page for us, we're reminded of John 1, verse 14, that the word, the greatest revelation that you have given of yourself to our world is the living word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for writing in and through your Son, Jesus, the greatest love story ever. In His name, amen.